Our Gospel reading this morning is from the Gospel of Luke. And there are three characters in this story, and as you hear the story, I invite you to consider which of these individuals you relate to. There's Jesus, there's the leader of the synagogue, and then there is the woman who has been afflicted. Hear now this Gospel reading from Luke. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that had been crippled for 18 years. She was bent over and was quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, There are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured, not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? When he said this, all his opponents were put to shame, and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things that he was doing. May God continue to bless our understanding of this sacred text. Will you pray with me? O gracious and loving God, may the meditations of all our hearts and our minds and our very souls be pleasing unto you this day and forevermore. Amen. I like rules. I like the order that they create. Yes, I am a rule follower. And I want everyone else to follow the rules too. And I admit, I get a little cranky when people don't follow the rules. But this week, I realized that if I break a rule for what I consider a very good reason, then there should be some, you know, flexibility with enforcement of said rule. You see, I'm applying to be an emergency chaplain with the LaGrange Fire and Police Department. And I sent in my application, which included a copy of my driver's license. Well, they responded immediately to say everything looked in order, except my driver's license had expired. Let me tell you, alerting the police is not the great way to find out that you have not renewed your driver's license. Well, I know there is a very good reason that we should all have our licenses renewed every four years and that there are very good reasons to not allow people to just let them lapse. But as I was driving, very slowly, I might add, to the Secretary of State's office, I had my list of reasons for having broken this rule all lined up with every expectation that I should not be held accountable and not have to jump through any extra hoops or pay a fine to get my license renewed. Well, they did let me slip through without even a question. And as I drove home, yes, a little faster, I reflected on this passage of scripture. The leaders of the synagogue 
liked their rules, and they wanted everyone, especially this rabble-rouser Jesus, 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 following them, not Jesus, Jesus, <laughs> especially if these rules met their needs, like feeling like they were in control. Well, the leader chastised Jesus <clears throat> and the woman. There are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured, and not on the Sabbath day. They seem to have reduced the definition of Sabbath to a simple soundbite. Keep the Sabbath, no work. Jesus responds, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath day untie your ox or donkey to take it to the from the manger and lead it to give it water? Why wouldn't we heal this woman and free her from her bondage? What Jesus seems to be doing is applying his understanding of Sabbath. For in Genesis, Jesus knew that God rested on the seventh day. After God had finished his work of creation, blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, hallowed it, made it holy. And in Deuteronomy, Jesus learned the commandments, observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy. While the leaders seem to have missed the point of the Sabbath being a holy day and what the definition of holy might include. Well, wonderful author and Christian Frederick Beekner, who sadly died this week, describes Sabbath like this. You think of God resting after the creation was finally all created. You think of the deep hush of it, like the hush between breakers at the beach. You think of this new creation itself resting, the chipmunk ceasing to twitch and chatter, the kingfisher settling down on the branch by the pond, the man and the woman standing still in the garden. You think of God blessing this one day of the seven and hallowing it, making it holy. Well, hallowing it and making it holy in Jesus' interpretation included releasing a woman from her 18 years of illness. And for the woman, now healed, this must have been the holiest of days she had ever experienced. But the leaders of the synagogue wanted to insist on their rule. Well, maybe these leaders had never experienced an excruciating affliction which had caused years of suffering, or they placed their egos above the needs of those suffering. So what rules or beliefs do we each hold that maybe we even cling to that we might need to reconsider? Or at least ask ourselves, what's at the core of this belief or this opinion? And perhaps we begin by applying the what is holy about this belief or opinion that we tightly hold on to. When I was in seminary, we were required to participate in CPE, Clinical Pastoral Education. Well, my CPE assignment was to spend nine months of training as a chaplain at Good Shepherd Hospital. I was one of six other seminarians, although we were each from different seminaries and different faith traditions. We not only visited patients, but we spent a lot of time as a group exploring our faith in the context of a health setting and often in life or death situations. Well, one of the questions, or the rules, if you will, that we had to wrestle with 
was what our response would be if we were called into the room where a mother had just given birth to a stillborn child, but the parents requested that we baptize them. The rules say we couldn't, that baptism is for the living. It is a sacrament that just as we heard this morning is a mark of the acceptance into the care of Christ's church, the sign and seal of participation in God's forgiveness, and the beginning of their growth into full Christian faith and discipleship. These sacred traditional words didn't seem to apply to this little baby. But wasn't the question really, what is holy in this situation? Couldn't the mark of water on that precious child's head truly be a sign of them already being accepted and welcomed by Christ himself into the loving arms of our loving God? What could be holier than finding a way to somehow offer this small yet profound gesture, gesture to the parents whose hearts had just been broken wide open. Well, each of us had to decide what the right holy thing would be to do. And we knew that for some of us, breaking this rule could mean that we would not be allowed to be ordained. Jesus took these kinds of risks all the time. He upset the status quo and moved about the world doing what was holy, not necessarily what the synagogue leaders or the Roman Empire mandated he do. And I think we are called to apply this same rule to our lives. Is what I'm doing or believing holy? Do my beliefs and actions lead to healing or suffering? And like the prophet Jeremiah, do we first try and come up with excuses to tell God no, and yet we are assured by God it is the right and holy thing to do, and that God is with us. Now this probably sounds like it could be a slippery slope, because what may be holy to me may not seem holy to you. And of course, we are aware of the many atrocities throughout history that have been done in the name of one's faith, including Christianity, which is why we need to continue to take the study of Scripture seriously so that we might be better able to prayerfully discern Christ's definition of holy. We will, of course, never be as holy or wise as Jesus, but as Christians, we are certainly called to try. As our motto says, we are united in Christ, but diverse in thought, and so our interpretations of Christ's teachings will vary. But again, shouldn't we agree that it is the life of Christ that we should be following as our greatest example of how to try and live our lives? And certainly we can be united in believing that following Christ begins with leading in all we do and believe from a place of holy love. As the Reverend Barbara Brown Taylor says, the only clear line I draw these days is this. When my religion tries to come between me and my neighbor, I will choose my neighbor. That self-canceling feature of my religion is one of the things I like best about it. Jesus never commanded me to love my religion. It is often my ego or my self-centeredness that gets in my way of making holier decisions. On a very small scale this week, my experience with my driver's license made that crystal clear to me. 
I believe in the rule about driving with the current license. It's a good one, and those who break it should pay the consequences. Until, of course, I broke the rule, and then I was really hoping I wouldn't have to pay the fine or, heaven forbid, take the written or behind-the-wheel test. But again, there was no good reason I should not have been or I should have been granted an exception. I goofed, I broke the rule, and should have faced whatever consequences they were going to dole out. But how often do we feel adamant about something until it personally affects us? Sadly, we often see this when tragedy happens. After the shooting at the Parkland High School, suddenly Florida lawmakers had at least a momentary change of heart and publicly proclaimed that yes, maybe they should look at changing gun laws. We witnessed the same thing after the horror of the children and teachers were killed in Uvalde, Texas. Legislators came out to say, well, yes, maybe we should do something about these shootings. Our decisions shouldn't be based only on how something affects us, positively or negatively. We must consider what is holy for the common good. We shouldn't wait to make holy decisions until something happens to tragically affect us personally. In today's story of healing, Jesus didn't even wait for this woman to ask for healing. He saw her suffering, and he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. His compassion becomes manifest in the power to heal, despite the fact that it required the suspension of a perfectly good rule. Well, in a passage that follows shortly after this one in Luke, Jesus asks, what is the kingdom of God like? Well, the story of the afflicted woman seems to anticipate this question and provide a kind of picture of what the ultimate reign of God will be like. Where Jesus is, the kingdom is. Where Jesus is, things seem to be made right. His ministry provides a foretaste of the coming kingdom. In the reign of God, the world will be repaired. There will be no more brokenness. There will be justice and mercy for all. In the reign of God, there will be no conflict between what is good for one and what is good for all. If this is the ultimate future that God is envisioning for us, how might we contribute to that kingdom here on earth? We are inheritors of the gift of healing of that bent-over woman who stood up straight and began praising God. Perhaps our response is to live every day as if it were hallowed and holy. Why wait for the Sabbath? Amen.